everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Wars. You're here with me, Samrin, today and with Rayan. And we have a bunch of Germany and Bayern Munich topics to discuss. But we are going to start um, with the game between Germany and the U.S., which took place in Connecticut today, with Germany coming out with a 3-1 win. So um, let's hear about Germany first. Let's look at their lineup and let's uh, talk about how they did. So, Ran, how do you think they did? And give us the lineup and what you thought of it on Julian Nagelsmann's first day as a Germany coach. Well, Nagelsmann's lineup today was a typical Nagelsmann one. It was a 4 triple 2 on paper, but in reality, it was a hybrid back three. We had Mark Arnetter Stegen in goal. We had Antonio Rudiger, Mats Hummels, and Jonathan Ta in defense with Robin Gosens in the hybrid left wing back role. Eokai Gundogan and Pascal Gross made up the midfield double pivot. And then we had a fluid attacking front four made up of Florian Wirtz, Jamal Musiala, Niklas Fulkrug, and of course, Leroy Zane. And for the U.S. end, we had um, we had Florian Balagun up top, and we had Christian Pulisic and Tim Weir right behind him, with Gio Reyna, Eunice Musa, McCann- and Weston McKinney making up the midfield with Serginio Dest. Uh, Tim Ream, Chris Richards, and Joe Scally, who I absolutely love, is the back four, and Matt Turner in goal. Um, the U.S. did well when I thought the U.S. did well in the first half, and I thought Germany just didn't make enough of their efforts in the first half with with Sane, with Musiala, just trying to do a lot on their own and not using full crew. This is almost like a Bayern-like problem where, you know, there's a hundred million euro man up front who nobody seems to notice except Sané from time to time. Yeah, Fulkrug is no hundred million euro man, but he's a very decent striker. And for much of the first half, he got close to no service. On the other end, the U.S. did well. Um, I thought Chiorina was really, really good. And I thought Pulisic's goal was just wonderful. And even though Germany equalized, you knew something had to change for Germany to win the game because at that point, I thought the game was about even. So, Rand, what changed for Germany that led to a much better second half display? It was strange to watch the tactics change. I think it was more of just a, a mental thing than uh, any real change in the tactics because the tactics didn't really change. It was really just Zane and Wurtz swapping sides and that was about it. But... It was it was more of a mentality thing. I think Nagelsmann has figured out how to fire up the players. And there's a lot of players here that he's familiar with. Obviously, the, the Bayern Munich uh, core is there. And soon we'll have a few more Leipzig players too, I would expect. So I think it was just a case of Nagelsmann knowing the people around them and knowing how to push them up. And I'm sure the assistance helps with that too because a lot of them are familiar with the setup. You know, um, I thought... Germany, especially in the second half, more than the first, Germany looked like they had a plan and they looked like they knew what they were doing for the first time in a very long time. And the U.S., the team came in, the U.S. team came in with a solid plan of its own, but in the second half could not really deal with Germany's sometimes intense, sometimes not so intense pressing and just the interplay between the likes of Sané and Wirtz, Musiala, and of course, Niklas Fulkrug up top. Um, I think, for me, while tactically not much changed, they did a much better job of finding Fulkrug in the second half and actually using him, particularly Musiala did a very good job. of. Um, 
I'm curious, Rand, what did you think of Pascal Gross in midfield? I think Pascal Gross is genuinely one of the smartest players in the world. He is probably the right player to play right now in midfield alongside Kimmich, but he was he was an interesting choice today. I think he makes really smart decisions on the ball and he knows when to let go and when to um, push forward with the ball. So I think he was pretty decent today. He was really good at progressing the ball today, especially down that right side where we didn't really have a, a wide man because of the hybrid system. Gross was really key to getting the ball to Zane sometimes when the ball was in deep areas. And he was pretty good at finding Verts too when Verts drifted more centrally. But I think overall, we just need to find the, the right partner for him. But I think Gross is the right man to start in midfield. Probably him and Kimmich would make a deb- better double pivot than Gunnowan and Gross because Gunnowan was a little slow today and he wasn't um, very good at distributing the ball. But he was good today. Gross was... He, he did the job. What did you think of Yanatan Ta playing at... What was it? Right back, right? Yeah, it was more <laughs> of uh, the Benjamin Pavard role that we've yeah. seen at Bayern Munich, where he was more just a tucked-in centre-back. He did the job. Again, he really wasn't anything good. I feel like that position needs a player who can really bring the ball out of defence, which we saw with Rudiger on the left side. But, yeah, we really need somebody there who can bring the ball out. I think uh, if Schlotterbeck plays at left centre-back, then we could have Rudiger play right-back and bring the ball out. That could probably work. Rudiger can take that space a lot more actively than Tade today. So, with Nagelsmann coming in, and this is this is a really really good start for him. Um, Hansi Flick started well in his first, I think, six games as Germany coach. He did not suffer a defeat. And um, Thomas Tuchel on his first day at Bayern just absolutely squashed Dortmund, which also proved to be kind of a false dawn. Which brings me to ask you, Rand, do you think this is a false dawn, or do you think the team will genuinely improve with Nagelsmann in charge enough? to be able to challenge for the Euros next year in Germany? Well, the thing is, with Tuchel and Flick, you could see that those were teams that were in transition tactically, especially in that Tuchel game, where it was very clear that it was just a Nagelsmann game plan with Tuchel's 4-2-3-1 sort of augmented onto it. But here, this was very much a Nagelsmann performance. We could already see all the imprints of a Nagelsmann team with the hybrid system, the midfield being a lot more fluid and a lot less focused on lines and more on the box. Musiala's role completely changed. Zane's role didn't really change, but it was more akin to the Nagelsmann role than it has been to the Tuchel role. The striker was in a lot more different positions to what we saw under Flick. And in the second half, after Fulco came off, reverted to the strikerless system that Nagelsmann used during the second half of the 2022-2023 season. This was very much a Nagelsmann game. It was not a tactical transition game like we saw with our previous managers. It is very clear that Nagelsmann has a game plan. He's hasn't just adapted what the team knows already. Um, I wouldn't say it was completely strikerless because Thomas Muller came on and he seemed to be the main guy up front. Yes, we know Muller doesn't really do well as striker. Um, it worked well though, even without full crew. By then, of course, the USMNT had tired a lot as well because they had been defending for long, and they also had some new players coming in, which may have led to the system being not as fluid or as not as solid as it was in the first half. But I thought once Muller came on and, you know, Muller did very Muller things, but it fit the, the strikerless idea fit very well. And yet I think he should keep Fulkrug in the side and Germany should move forward with Fulkrug because even though Nagelsmann's Bayern team, as far as I remember, scored one less goal when Lewandowski left, 
after Lewandowski left compared to the season, compared to Lewandowski's last season, in some games you could see just the difference that a striker would have made. And with that in mind, I really do think that while Nagelsmann's natural inclination maybe to kind of play without a strike, it makes sense to keep full Krug in at least past the Euros. You can see the impact. You can see what a physical presence in the box can do. What is your, what are your two cents on this? I think we could end up with uh, Behrens almost taking the reins from full Krug here because while full Krug is pretty good on the ball, we need more of a physical presence. I think we could revert to something akin to Nagelsmann's Leipzig system where he had Yusuf Palzen almost dropping into the middle as a creator and then Timo Werner ran off his back. We could be seeing that here with Zane and Fulkug or Zane and Behrens. I do think the strikerless system works in shades here and there, but it just doesn't seem to have a clear plan in the final third, which I think is a crucial missing point. Thomas Muller did seem to play as the main man up front, but unlike Fulkrug, he didn't always sit on the last shoulder. He was drifting wide allowed to create overloads. That's why I would consider it a strikerless system, especially on the left side, where uh, Chris Furich was a lot of the time. Uh, him and Muller were pretty close and pretty tight. And I think those kind of link-ups are what we were going for, where instead of uh, crossing it for a main man, we would try and create overloads in these kinds of areas. I think that could work, especially if we have someone like Zane or uh, even Julian Brandt kind of just hovering on the other side of the pitch, waiting for a pocket. Although I don't think Julian Brandt is the type of player to go for that kind of role. He just doesn't seem to have the kind of explosivity we want from a player in that position. But I think we could see something like this from Kai Havertz too. We saw Havertz come on for Wertz, but I think Havertz might be used as a striker, quote-unquote, but again, he would be in that sort of Yusuf Palzin at RB Leipzig role where he kind of drops into the middle. If it were me, I wouldn't use Kai Havertz right now. He's not having a great time at his club, as you might know, and he's not had a great time in the Premier League overall. So right now, I'd probably like not make Kai the main man for anything. On Brandt, you're right. He's definitely not the kind of guy with like who will who has the kind of pace or who provides the kind of power that a guy like Sané can do. I think with Brandt, I always saw him as more of a number ten. He has been used in a variety of positions across midfield. But to me, what I always liked about him was really his vision, and that's kind of what I still like the most about him. But what was really really interesting to me today, aside from just Nagelsmann's imprint on the team is Nagelsmann's clear. So the fact that he put in Gross, he put in Ta in the hybrid back three, four role. He had Chris Furich in the squad. Just there's, it, this is one game and he just became manager like yesterday. And he's kind of being able to put his imprint in the team. And it almost makes me sad because, you know, on the other hand, there's Thomas Tuchel who's sitting at Bayern for like, uh, what? Like we're hitting six months now. And his imprint is highly questionable. But before we before we jump into two, are there any changes you would like to see ahead of the Mexico game for Germany? Um, is there any player on the bench you would like to see come on for that uh, fixture on Tuesday? Um, this might be controversial, but I want to see Hoffman in for Wertz. Just that that left-sided narrow role. I know that. Vets and Musiala is a link-up that we want to experiment with. But Hoffman has flourished at Leverkusen playing in that sort of left narrow role. Like It seems like that role is almost made for him in this system. 
I would probably like to see Robert Andrich alongside Pascal Gross too, because I think Andrich is a really good physical presence off the ball. And pairing him with Pascal Gross, who's just a really calm and reliable presence on the ball, would probably work. Maybe even trying David Raum at left wing back instead of Robin Gosens, but I think Gosens is doing the job right now. I wouldn't change that one. I wanted to see Robert Andrich today. Actually, I would. I would have really liked to see him. I would so have liked I'm, to see him too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely very curious about him. And I agree with you on Hoffman. Um, I like Virts a lot. And I thought he did a lot of good things today. But system-wide, I think Hoffman would be a better fit for the role as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's just, I don't, I don't know if you can fit Musiala and Virts in the same team and make it work. What do you think? I think it's definitely possible because they're not the same kind of player at all. Musiala is a lot more... Uh, direct in terms of how he looks to create chances. He tends to dribble a lot more. He tends to take on players a lot more. Wirtz is a lot more passive in that way. He tends to play around his teammates. He's a lot more creative with his passes rather than trying to dribble through players. Although he does still have the ability to dribble through players, it's not like he lacks it. I think they can definitely work, but to put them together requires you to sacrifice the number nine role almost because... By putting Wirtz in the creative role, you're almost asking Muziala to either take a winger role or to take a false nine role. And either way, you're kind of sacrificing the target man in the middle. Because if you put Musiala on the wing, you don't really have a player who can cross it in. You don't have a player who's creating chances from deep for a target man to latch onto. So I would almost say you play Muller up front and then have Musiala and Wirtz and Zane sat behind them. That could be the kind of system that Nagelsmann is going for here. That could work. I would like to see that. But it also really depends on how much he's going to play Muller. I think toward the end of Nagelsmann's time at Bayern, he came to the realization, the whole thing about Muller always plays. And Muller started playing in the important game over the course of, you know, 70 to 90 minutes. And then, well, Nagelsmann was fired. But that's why Muller was in the squad today. Hummels being in the squad was also, I thought, a very, very good move. Although that foul, I can't remember who it was on. I think it was on Tim Weir. He almost took out Tim Weir with that. And in a serious game, that could have been a different kind of card. It was almost like an orange card. But I was I was happy to see Hummels back. And I thought he had kind of unfairly been pushed out of the national setup as well. Um, speaking of unfair and Thomas Muller, let's go and talk about the other Thomas. Thomas Tuchel. Uh, before before we even get started on what is coming out of Munich right now, Ryan, wh- how much progress do you think the team has made under Thomas Tuchel from since his first game in charge till now? Do you see any progress? Do you see any positives from Thomas Tuchel's time at Bayern aside from the improvement of Leroy Zane? None. Well, that was easy. Um, many people share your sentiments. Um, if not directly there are some rumors that some of the players are not happy with him they they don't understand exactly what the coach is trying to do um apparently Tuchel is not the best communicator which does not surprise me and uh, yeah yeah and apparently the players would rather uh, speak to the assistant coaches which which kind of brings me to this next point about Tuchel's long-term future at Bayern. Ryan, do you think this is the beginning of the end for him? I unfortunately don't think he is going to be leaving Bayern anytime before the end of the season. 
But Tuchel was never a long-term option. He's just not the kind of manager to stay at a team for very long. He tends to create enemies very quickly. He tends to divide dressing rooms wherever he goes. We saw it at PSG. We saw it at Chelsea. I don't think he lasts very long in Bayern, especially with the kind of personalities that we have. I think you can make a case for Tuchel elevating the, I would say, the midfield control. But the thing is, we don't really have any midfield control now. We've reverted. There was a time where we had midfield control uh, towards the end of last season when we were struggling everywhere else. It just seemed like the midfield was working for some reason. And then we've completely reverted on that because we never progressed the ball through the middle. We genuinely, I don't think we progressed the ball through the center at all now. Whereas under Nagelsmann, we used to rely on central congestions a lot while still having the ability to hit you know, teams from out wide with Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry and um, Jao Cancelo even. And Alfonso Davies, that 3-1-4-2 was, I think, the best system that Nagelsmann could have employed. And it would just really work because we had Zanin Musiala through the middle and we were just really good at creating chances from all four zones on the pitch. And we just can't do that anymore. It seems like we're relying on crossing. And if we're not relying on crossing, we're relying on Leo Zane and Harry Kane to work their magic. There is just no progress here. And Tuchel is not going to last very long if this continues. You know, um, we, we talked about this in Bayern's last game before the international break, the win over Freiburg. And there was there was a slight debate in one of the comment sections about uh, when... We, Basically, the point that was made was that Thomas Muller's presence in that game might have led to the fluidity of performance because even when he's having a bad day, which he kind of did that day, he redirects play and his kind of his vision and his experience might have led to such a cohesive performance. And yet there were some people mentioning that perhaps Thomas Tuchel did something to lead to such a cohesive performance, which I don't buy at all. But um, I'm curious. Who do you think is disgruntled team? I mean, I would I would easily pick Kimmich, the first person. I would probably yeah. be disgruntled. Joshua Kimmich and Leon mm-hmm. Goretzka are both definitely disgruntled. I would say probably Jamal Musiala is a little disgruntled too. Uh, Matthias Delict is definitely disgruntled. I would say probably Nusay Mazrawi, and yeah, I think I think those guys are definitely unhappy. Yeah, um, Harry Kane is new. And he's not uh, yeah. the Lewandowski type to go and air his grievances out into the press, out into the world, out into the dressing room, out on the pitch in front of everybody, whatever he could do to get his goals. But I am I feel somewhere there, Harry Kane might have be feeling a little bit disgruntled. Tuchel was a big part in bringing him in from what I understand. But he gets like... If he gets any service in a game, it's just like, okay, hallelujah. Like, sometimes I feel like Kane has, like, five touches all game. Um, It almost feels to me like Tuchel wants to use him as a number 10. But if Tuchel uses him as a number 10, then who exactly is playing up top? And what is exactly happening? And why have we paid $100 for a number 9 just to play him at number 10? Exactly. Which which just is very, very difficult to explain. Um. The other reports coming out about Tuchel concern Ole Honus, who very who came out into the press and did a very honest thing and directly said that um, some people make unwise statements about the squad that he Ole Honus does not think the squad is thin, and he said 
very clearly, some people, including the coach, make such statements. Um, if you have, if you have made Uli Honus unhappy, do you think? Do you still think that a coach can last a season when Uli Honus is unhappy with him? You bring up a very good point. Actually, I don't think any coach really could last that long. But we're in a very strange position right now, where essentially the entire board is running on the gamble of the people that they fired. Because Tuchel just arrived, and Tuchel arrived under the tutelage, under the um, the the executive decisions of Brazo and Khan, and that just has not worked. And that's the reason that they got dropped. I would say that Nagelsmann's firing was a major reason for them getting dropped. So the we're essentially the current board is working with the mistakes of the previous board, but they can't have Tuchel just get released because it would only further add to the instability. So what do you do? Because you have what is basically an albatross and it's tied around your neck. You can't do anything about it. I don't think Tuchel goes any time before this season purely due to the financial instability aspects of it. That that I see and that albatross analogy really does a good job of explaining this. I also think though that Nagelsmann is now no longer on Bayern's wage bill. So Mine is no longer paying his salary. That is done. So that kind of does free up Mine a bit more financially if they do want to change. But I also wonder that after the bargain, not not exactly bargain, after the risk, I would say, of buying Harry Kane. And look, like I know like Harry Kane is proven and stuff, but 100 million for any player is always, it always comes with a certain amount of risk. If Mine sees that the season is going south and trophies are not looking likely i wonder if they will still stick with tuchel and round out the season i like you feel like tuchel will survive anything at this point but it's also tuchel's very own nature where he has proven to be stubborn where he doesn't adjust where sometimes his statements in the press just like just make you think he came out after the Leipzig game and he said something about he doesn't know what happened. It was This was the Super Cup game and he's not sure what's going on. Well, if he doesn't know what's going on, then who does? He's the coach. So it is it is an albatross situation. But do you think Bayern will give this season away if things don't improve after the winter break and stick it out with Tuchel? Or do you think that might be an incentive to make a change? I think it will be an incentive to make a change, but... Unlike the Nagelsmann situation, there really doesn't seem to be an option that they have that's better than Tuchel. I wouldn't consider Tuchel a better option than Nagelsmann. I never have. I don't think Tuchel is anywhere close to Nagelsmann's level tactically. But to the board at the time, Tuchel was an extremely attractive option in the short term, at least. But that option just there is no one who is even close to that caliber of manager right now who is available, maybe later on in the season. But I don't see anyone, you know, that is of Tuchel's caliber losing their job so soon. So there doesn't seem to be any alternative, which I think would lead to Bayern sticking it out with Tuchel until the end of the season and probably just giving up on the season, at least getting the league title wrapped up. I just don't, I don't see Bayern letting go of Tuchel anytime soon. It seems like they're being very, very forgiving with him. Not if you were to believe Uli Honus and what he's saying. But um, just just going back into previous firings late on in the season, Bayern fired Klinsmann in April and finished the season with 
I want to say they finished that season with Andreas Jonker. I'm going to have to look this up. It was so long ago. But Bayern doesn't always necessarily get a get a different coach. Sometimes they do finish the season with the assistant coach. This has happened before. I'm literally looking up Andreas Jonker and saying, what season it was, uh, it was. No, it was Hankus. It was Hankus. It was Hankus that year? It was Hankus. Yeah, I think Jonker was 2009. To, yeah, there we go. He was. It was 2011 that Jonker finished the season. So Bayern finished that. Klinsman season with Heinkes. And mind you, Heinkes at that point wasn't really in the market. Like his win with Real Madrid in the Champions League came in 1998. And yeah. he was basically kind of in the, in around that time, he was heading, heading, heading kind of toward retirement. So Bayern did get him for five games. And then, you know, Heinkes felt revived enough to take a job at Leverkusen later down the line. But then also when Van Hal was fired, also late in the Bayern did finish April. the April, yeah. They did finish the season with Andreas Janker, who was the assistant manager at the time. So it is not unlikely like that Bayern will fire the coach and maybe finish the season with Anthony Berry or Zolt Love or, you know, maybe even get Hansi Flick as a caretaker if he's not if he doesn't have a job at that point and finish the season. There to me, that is that is definitely a possibility because Hansi Flick almost feels like a, it, it feels like a situation that almost needs to be rectified, at least on my end, because that's kind of also what happened with Heinke. Um, I always go back to this that Uli Honus says that mentioned that one of his biggest mistakes might have been to fire Heinke's in the 90s. And so many years later, this was rectified. The way that Hansi Flick left the job, like he was probably always going to take the Germany job. There's no telling otherwise. But there was so much, there were so many issues behind the scenes involving Bradzo and Flick. And the team genuinely loved Flick. He was definitely a beloved manager. So I could definitely see a scenario where he comes over as caretaker. It doesn't mean that he stays like maybe in the summer, Bayern either goes for Sebastian Honez, Chabi Alonso, plethora of options. But I don't, I could see Bayern finishing the season with Tuchel. And I do feel strongly, if not, well, not too strongly, but kind of strongly that they will. However, if rumors of discontent are coming out this early and we're only in October, I have never, ever seen a Bayern coach survive it when there are problems this early. And Bayern is not top of the league right now either. What do you think can change for Tuchel um, once the winter break is, geez, not the winter break, once the international break is over? And since Manuel Neuer is about to come back, how do you think that will impact the I think Neuer's comeback is massive for us because Neuer's ability to build up is just completely different. His shot stopping is completely different. I think it would be a big boost. Like we would definitely concede less. We would build up better. I think almost it might start to paper over the number six gap because with Neuer on the ball, the defenders can be a lot more adventurous with their positioning. Whereas with Ulreich, they really had to almost babysit Ulreich because of his limited passing range. Even with Zomer, we saw this where the center backs were a lot less adventurous with their positioning. Whereas with Neuer on the ball, sometimes they would press ahead of the strikers, they would have the fullbacks come up higher. We might see more of that, which might negate the need for us. Well, not negate, but definitely paper over the crack that um, the midfield is showing right now. We could see a lot more direct balls through to uh, Zane and uh, Kane even, because Neuer has that kind of long ball in him. And we all know that Tuchel loves a long ball. 
we could uh, once Gnabry is back too, we could see some long balls down the left flank too because Gnabry was in a much more narrow role. Um, the goal against Liverpool in the friendlies comes to mind where Kim Inge played a long ball and Gnabry latched onto it from behind the defender. We could see those with Neuer too. That It just kind of just changes the whole pattern of build-up. So I think it would definitely be a big boost for Tuchel. But I just don't think Tuchel has the the thought process to tinker with the team's build-up patterns in response to Neuer coming back. I think Tuchel will be stuck in his ways. How do you think Bayern will fare against Galatasaray? Oh, they will win, but it's not going to be because Tuchel is better tactically or anything. Yeah, I think it's those Galatasaray games come at a very interesting... It coincides with the Norris return, basically. And on top of that, I was I was watching Man United play Galatasaray. I, I was watching the highlights of the game later. And there is... Although United are not a great team right now, I saw enough in Galatasaray to cause Bayern especially if the Bayern that showed up against Copenhagen shows up or the Bayern that showed up against Man United shows up, there could be trouble. Tula's gotten away with it so far, and Bayern has eked out victory. But there is a point where luck starts to run out. So uh, fortunately for Tuchel, unlike in past seasons, Bayern has actually gotten a relatively easy. Last year, Tuchel might have struggled with Inter Milan, Barcelona in Bayern's uh, Champions That was a tough group. Um, overall, it is, it is just a very, very difficult situation. And I think Neuer coming back, while it could help the team, could also cause a few, cause a few problems. Because Neuer is also one of those big characters in the dressing room. And Tuchel is not known to have a great relationship with big characters. I am generally curious of seeing where this goes. Do you think Bayern has a chance to win all three competitions? under? They have a chance. I definitely think... With Bayern Munich, you can never say there isn't a chance because Bayern Munich tend to have individuals like Leroy Zane and Harry Kane. And in the past, it would be, you know, Robert Lewandowski and Franck Ribery. These guys who can just overrun games and just completely stamp their authority on them, even when the team itself isn't dominating. But I think that if we win competitions, it will be in spite of Tuchel. It won't be because of him. I almost want to see Neuer challenge Tuchel's authority because, well, number one, it'll be really funny. It's just, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. I love it. I love Manuel Neuer's attitude towards football and I just find it really funny and entertaining when he comes up against something as stubborn as he is. I know that it won't be the best as a fan of the club to watch it happen. It will be chaotic. It will be turmoil almost, but as a neutral observer and as somebody who just en- enjoys chaos, it will be really funny. But I also want to see it because I want Tuchel to be challenged and I want him to be challenged in a way that the board is forced to make a decision about him. Because if I was the board, I would look to let him slip as soon as possible. I think they are. Just the comments about from Holy Honest feels, feels to me like they're just waiting. And... With Neuer, yes, I would love to see a great challenge as well. But again, it wouldn't be great for the team. Um, I sincerely think that one of the reasons, one of the key reasons for Nagelsmann getting fired was him not treating Manuel Neuer's guys the best by firing um, Manuel Neuer's goalkeeping coach, by firing Tony Tapalovic. Nagelsmann set himself up for, set himself up against Neuer, which doesn't turn out well. Speaking of... Things not turning out well. 
Bayer Leverkusen's previous Bundesliga campaigns have not turned out very well, but now they're top of the table. So, Ran, I would like to hear your thoughts on Bayer Leverkusen's title challenge. Yeah, so Leverkusen have actually started, um, I mean, the only real word for it is cooking because they are flying right now under Xabi Alonso. Alonso's got them playing a really good 3-4-2-1 system and it just it just works. Like all the personnel they got work, all the roles that they're playing, it all just fit together really well. I was unsure about the Jonas Hoffman deal, especially because they have Jeremy Frimpong who does the right-sided wide man role so well. But it turns out Jabi Alonso didn't want him for the right-sided wide man role. He created an entirely new role on the left side for Hoffman. And it just works perfectly. Florian Wirtz through the middle is amazing. He's still playing at his best. Jabi Alonso seems to have maybe the best midfield in the league. I would still give the crown to Zavashlager and Kevin Campbell at Leipzig. But uh, Ezequiel Palacios and Granit Xhaka are a very close second in the dub pivot. They're so balanced, they bounce off of each other really well. The back five just really works. Jeremy Fimpong, obviously, in his freer role down the right because um, Orlilon Kosonu tends to play as a right back almost at times. Like It genuinely feels like a back four sometimes with Jeremy Fimpong just as a pure right winger. Obviously, Ta and Tapsoba are the other two centre-backs. And Alejandro Grimerdo is... I don't even know what to say about him anymore. He is world-class. He is elite. He is probably the best left-back in the world right now. I remember I got laughed at the shop because when I was doing the Bundesliga power rankings, I put Grimerdo at number two, and I said that he was on the same level as Alfonso Davies. I remember getting quite a few comments talking about that and how Grimerdo just probably wouldn't be as good. But Grimerdo is proving himself to be probably the best left-back in the world right now. Uh, he's up there. He's up there with Davies and probably David Raum. And I mean, who else is there? Like Matthias Oliveira, maybe. Um, you could probably put uh, Joshko Gvardiol up there, although he's more of a centre back. But Leverkusen have all the individual performances going. Oh, and of course, Victor Boniface up front. How could I forget? He is he is a man possessed right now. Seven goals and two assists in seven games is beyond belief. And it's not just the goals; it's the physicality. It's the creativity. It's the, just the pure presence he has. He scares defenders out of their skin off the ball. And he scares them out of position when he's on the ball. He is a force to be reckoned with. And he could be a genuine contender for the Golden Boot if it weren't for, of course, Sehu Girasi being in the kind of form he's in. This team is cooking not just individually, but systemically too, because Xabi Alonso just has them playing really beautiful football. They genuinely might be the best team to watch in all of Europe right now. And I think they could make a run for the title, not just in the early stages like we saw with Union Berlin and Borussia Dortmund, but I mean a serious run of the title where they actually look like a trophy-winning team, not just the team that happens to be top of the table instead of Bayern Munich. You know, I can I can agree with that. I'm going to say about Union Berlin's title challenge last season that they just tapered off right before everyone went into the World Cup. And then they just kind of, they they got back into the groove right after. But by then, it was too late to rescue the title challenge. But I, like you, am similarly so impressed by Bayer Leverkusen. 
I always knew Hoffman Press. I knew right away that it was a great deal. And I was very, very sad as somebody who really likes Bruce and Wunsch and Gladbach to see him leave. But he was destined for bigger things. And I'm so happy he got a bigger stage to show what he can do. Although it sucks that he went to pretty much like, you know, a Derby rival, a Derby only if Gladbach wins. Well, they, that's what they use in Colm terms, that if Colm wins against Leverkusen, then it's a Derby. If Colm loses, it's not a Derby. But they look wonderful to watch. And even when they're playing like, let's say Heidenheim, which was actually a pretty um, entertaining game. Like I will come out and I will, I think it was Heidenheim, not Darmstadt, right? The team that they played very, very close to the international break. And they were so, so good to watch. And it was just, you know, it's, it's not, it's not one of those games that you wake up for because you expect there to be a lot of competition between the teams. But Bayer Leverkusen are just so wonderful to watch that you can't help it. It feels like there's joy in their game. It feels like all the parts feel, feel so, you know, well put together. And one comment that Chabi Alonso made about Florian Wirtz really sticks in my head where he said that Something along the lines of Wirtz does the special thing so well, Chabi Alonso is only there to show him how to do the regulars. And that is that is the ultimate compliment that you can get from Chabi Alonso. Yeah. And um, Granit Chaka, you know, former Arsenal man, former Gladbach man, I am so, so happy to see him do so well. He seems just perfect in that midfield role. Um, I'm a big fan of Zavrashlaga, like you are. So maybe Leipzig's duo still just about takes the cake. But, you know, Leipzig did lose to Leverkusen. I am curious about why you think they can sustain the title challenge this time when they have fallen apart before well first of all we have to talk about the mentality because Xabi Alonso seems to be very unforgiving in terms of drops and performances I don't mean that uh, in the way that he's cruel but I mean that in the way that he is very focused on like the second a player seems to be off the paces he's immediately like there to try and push them back to the top level. We saw it with Tapsoba. We saw it with Jonathan Ta. We've seen it at times with Jeremy Frimpong because Frimpong has had periods where he didn't seem to be at the same level as before. And we saw Xabi Alonso man-manage him really well. And on top of that, we have to look at the depth because Bayer Leverkusen have had struggles with depth, especially in the era of like Leon Bailey and Musa Diaby. Like, the second one of those players was out, the entire system fell apart. But this time, Bayer Leverkusen have, you know, Robert Andrich sits on the bench. I mean, Adli sits on the bench. Adam Kloschek sits on the bench. Josep Stanisic sits on the bench. Piero Hincapi sits on the bench. Noah Mbamba, a genuine golden boy, next-gen candidate, sits on the bench. Josep Stanisic, a player who's pocketed Kylian Mbappe on multiple occasions, sits on the bench. These are players who can come in and play the role asked of them wonderfully. Some of them have world-class potential. Some of them are just really consistent performance. Like, Josip Stanisic doesn't have the kind of ceiling you would want from a 21-year-old, but he just performs every time. Every time you put him on the pitch, he will put in a top performance. He will put in a reliable performance. Those are the kinds of players that this squad was missing, and it's the kind of players that they have now. And that, I think, will be the decisive factor is that when Alonso feels like a player isn't up to scratch, he actually has somebody that he can pull out off of the bench who will fill in that role. It's 
It's a wonderful point. That strength and depth. And he manages minutes well. This is what I really, really, really like about Alonso. Everybody plays. Nobody sits on the bench for an extended period of time. Like, I think Stanisic starts in the Europa League pretty much all the time. So he's doing an excellent, excellent job of keeping everybody happy. I guess my one worry is that he might be gone during the winter break if Real Madrid get into a crisis and Jude Bellingham stops, you know, bailing them out. Do you think there's a possibility that Alonso will leave before the end of the season? I think Xabi Alonso is a man of very strong principles. And I feel like leaving this project halfway through a season just doesn't align with those principles. He seems like a very, um, not ethically, but I feel like he just seems like a very clean-cut man in terms of his management and his ideals about football, especially in the way he sets his teams up. A very similar way to the way he played. So I I don't see him abandoning. I wouldn't call it abandonment because it's not like the team is completely helpless without him. But I would say that this is not the kind of project that he would leave half done. I feel like he would want to at least get to the end of this season, if not continue with Leverkusen beyond it. And I, I don't see him joining Real Madrid before 2024 minimum. What of Borussia Dortmund? What do you think of where they stand so far? This They're not challenging for the title. Nope, not happening. Edin Terzic just does not get how to set up a team. They are level on points with Bayern right now, and they've had a pretty good run of things recently. But I just they're they're not there. They're not winning games convincingly. Like they won against Union Berlin. To be fair to them, it was a four-two win um, last week. That was that was good. But even there, like they're just there doesn't seem to be any cohesion to the performances they seem to all just the players all just seem to be looking around at each other hoping that someone else comes up with an idea and there isn't really any direction to the football if you look at the past maps for Terzic Dortmund it's all very similar and it's all very focused on the center but there doesn't seem to be any clear roles for players so what tends to happen with teams that have uh, central congestions like Edin Terzic as Dortmund does is that they tend to form diamonds or um, now they're referred to as squares or boxes, but they used to be referred to as diamonds. But Terzic's teams don't have that. They tend to have players in just these random positions here and there on the field. There doesn't seem to be any actual structure to the midfield, especially the midfield. There seems to be the only width coming from the wingbacks and that doesn't work because you have Julian Reyes on at left back. That's a right footer. You can't have him providing width on the left side and you have Marius Wolf on the right side who doesn't have the pace to come and track back. So it is a recipe for disaster and it is going to get punished so soon. We saw them struggle massively against AC Milan. They had a bit of momentum in the attack but they just could not string anything together really. Uh, Rami Bosabaini was good for them. I think Bosabaini is the right man for the system because he's just so good on the ball. He's so silky on the ball. You know this. You watched him for years at Clapback. He's severely underrated, I think. But it just, there's so much missing in the middle for this team. And especially with the lack of replacement for Jude Bellingham. Felix Mecha is not Jude Bellingham. Marcel Zabitzer is not Jude Bellingham. These are not players who can perform the same roles. These are not players who can come even close to the numbers that Drew Bellingham put up for them. They do not have enough to challenge for the title at all. And they probably won't even get top four this honestly. You know, with Ben Sabaini, I sometimes wish he was as good a defender as he is silky on the ball. But yeah, he's great to watch. And with Dortmund, and despite all of this, they sit level on points with Bayern on the table. 
And you can say that their problems are pretty similar to Bayern to an extent. Massively underperforming, players not clearly knowing their roles. Bayern is underperforming to a lesser extent than Dortmund. But similar things are happening with both teams. And Bellingham was irreplaceable. And I don't think Dortmund really knew how to replace Bellingham. I think Fulkrug is a good purchase because Sebastian Haller has been struggling for a while up front. But I think somehow, someway, if Aiden Terzic can can get some kind of formula together, they might chat. Because despite the way that they're playing, they're getting yeah. What do you think of Leipzig's chance? Well, I wrote an entire article on that. And I do still think that Leipzig have a far better chance than Dortmund do at making a run for the title because, again, they have depth. And what happened with Leipzig was they were similar to Leverkusen in that they had all the potential in the world. They had all the players with the high ceilings, but they just couldn't get the job done. But after Domenico Tedesco came along, Leipzig seemed to have that cutting edge to them now. And they just they have the drive to win games now. Tedesco took a group of pretty inexperienced players and really, you know, grinded out results with them and got them in a mental space where they can actually win trophies. And we saw that because they won their first ever trophy in their history under Tedesco. And now under Hosa, they seem to be transitioning from being just individuals with high ceilings to being an actual functioning system. And we can see that because they have the most practical midfield possible. Neither Schlager nor Kampel is or, or Campbell are players with high potential. In fact, they're pretty pragmatic and almost mid-table like players in the way that they seem to have these small moments of brilliance on the ball and most of their work is off the ball. But then they're they're supplemented by players like Xavi Simons and Christoph Baumgartner and Lois Openda and I mean Daniel Mo and Yusuf Alzen, all these players who not only have high ceilings individually but they all just function really well together in a system. It's like the opposite of Bayern Munich's attack. They all have clear roles, unlike Bayern Munich's attack, unlike Dortmund's attack, where it's all just individuals kind of just floating around in the middle. You look at a Leipzig attack and you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get Javi Simons drifting on the left, trying to get balls through into the middle with the outside of his foot on Lois Openda, who's running through the middle. You have Paulsen, who drops into the center, sometimes just to the right. You have Emil Forsberg, who plays on the left. You have Javi Simons drifting to the right side, sometimes with Yusuf Paulsen in the center. You know these movements. These are all automatisms that you can see constantly in their game. And they are so crystallized that it's almost... It's it's like watching machines at work, but they have the individual talent too. They will make a run for the title. I know they're sixth right now. I know they're three points behind Bayern, who themselves are in third, but they will make a run for the title. They have all the quality in the world and they have the mentality now too. Yeah. Do you think their title challenge rests on Danny Olmo? When Danny Olmo's not been in the team, they've still looked very good. They've just looked less good with Danny Olmo on the side. I don't think Olmo is any... I, I, I will say this. I think Olmo's a fantastic player, but I don't get this narrative that's come about of Leipzig being reliant on him in attack or Olmo even being Leipzig's best attacker because I see Leipzig's best attacker as being Xavi Simons and then Lois Openda and then Benjamin uh, Sheshko. I don't see Dani Olmo on that level anymore because he just doesn't consistently get enough minutes, whether he's fit or whether he's not fit. And I think Leipzig's best front four right now, in terms of not just quality, but in terms of interplay, does not include Danny Olmo. Yeah, I can see that. I also think Xavi Simmons is 
their best attacker. And Leipzig does feel like a team to me that's greater than the sum of its parts. Um, outsiders, what do you think about Stuttgart? That's a good question. I genuinely don't know what's happening with Stuttgart. They seem to be defying all the odds this season. It, I genuinely, like, it's not like their tactics are anything extraordinary. It's a pretty standard 4-2-3-1 with a flat back four because Hiroki Ito plays at left back and Pascal Stenzel doesn't get to adventures either. It's not like they have this amazing individual quality in midfield because they have Angelo Stiele and Atakan Karazor. Like They're both very pragmatic midfielders. They're not exactly gifted on the ball. They just have two individuals who are playing out of their skin right now in Chris Furek and, of course, Sehu Girassi, whose loan deal they made permanent this summer from Stade Rennes. It just it defies all the odds. We don't know how it's happening. It's like Union Berlin all over again last season. And I should mention, the one time Girassi misfired, they had Denis Undav. And Denis Undav is a player that I mentioned for the German national team. He is fantastic. He got a brace against, I believe it was Köln. It was the one time that Girassi misfired and they had Denis Undav to once again defy the odds. It just it does not make sense to me how they're this good, but they are. It's almost ridiculous. It really is. Every time I watch Sugar, they actually also look really good. I like Sebastian Honus a lot. But like you said, you don't really exactly know what's happening. Just that everything is happening. And I don't know if they're here to stay, but, you know, we'll, we'll find out. And so far, it's been brilliant. And they score a hat full of game, goals in most games. And I don't know what's up with Zerhu Girassi, but man, he looks like a guy reborn. Um. Union Berlin, one of last season's challengers, really, really struggling this season. What do you make of that? I would like to mention also that uh, Stuttgart have been massively helped by a certain Alexander Nubel in goal, who's been making some fantastic saves and is probably the best keeper in the league right now in terms of pure form. That 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 is an important point. That, yeah, that we'll is give an the man his credit. For, yes, it's an important point for Bayern fans to remember because we are looking at Gregor Kobel reportedly. Meanwhile. Nubel is already on our payroll, so... But, yeah, Union Berlin, I feel like the luck just ran out for them. They were so reliant on just these low percentage chances that kept falling their way, and the luck has finally run out for them. They still tend to get good results. Like, they held Real Madrid to a nil-nil draw for, like, 90 minutes. They held Union... They held Braga to a draw for a while, but I think they are... As they begin to introduce individuals like uh, Leonardo Bonucci and Robin Gosens and Lucas Tuza, you know, these players who are actual good footballers um, beyond just these low percentage chances where they tend to have talents that lend themselves to a team that tends to dominate the ball. I think Union are trying to transition into that system because they know that this, you know, this um, almost... Mathmat- mathematics-defying approach to football isn't going to last very long. But the transition is not very clean right now, and I think that's why they're struggling. And I think they will continue to struggle for a bit, but probably by next season or the season after, they'll be back to challenging for top six, top four. Honestly, right now, we're only on our, it feels a lot like relegation. For- they can't buy a win. They were 2-0 up against Braga before you know they gave away the plot. But one narrative that I've heard that I kind of see as well is Union 
concede special goals. Like the goals they're conceding are not normal goals. Some of those winners that they're conceding are really special. So if anything, low percentage chances for the opposition is now going against Union and not working in their favor. But yeah, I do think they're in that weird transition period where they are going away from a team that is reliant on those low percentage chances and defending with all their might. And they're going for playing more football and it's got them stuck in this weird awkward position where they have spells in games where they play really well they were 2-1 up against Dortmund before crumbling but then things happen and they have moments in games where they don't play very well and that normally tends to lead to um speaking of poor form who are your picks for relegation this season um well before the season started I had Heidenheim Heidenheim down to go immediately but they've had some great performances Jan Niklas Beste in particular he's been ridiculous at the moment it seems like i mean Köln seem like dead search to go down right like they've only got one point i think so far i would say Köln, bochum and then whatever the third team is i mean it'd probably be like mainz or bremen but either way i think the third team survives they win their playoff so i would say Köln and bochum to go down what about you i'm gonna say oh I'm going to pick Darmstadt, and I'm going to pick, oh, between Köln and Bochum is tough. Actually, I'm going to leave Bochum out of this conversation entirely. I'm going to say Köln goes down, Darmstadt goes down, and Werder Bremen goes into the playoffs. There are some dark horses who could get pulled into the relegation. Um, Heidenheim, of course, they're doing very, very well, but might get pulled into the fight. Mainz could get pulled into the fight. A lot of poor results this season. Borussia Mönchengladbach could get pulled into the fight. So... There's at least like six, seven teams that could be serious candidates for relegation. This just all over them. Um, any dark horses for Europe that you have in mind? Valtzburg, for sure. Valtzburg have been pretty good on Kovac. Valtzburg might have the most complete midfield three. I think I mentioned this during the Bundesliga power rankings because they just they have a really complete midfield. It's really weird to look at because it's the most it's the least uh, Nico Kovac thing you could think of, but they have. Um, they have Matthias Svanberg, Maximilian Arnold, and they have a new signing in Lovre Meyer from Stade Rennes. And that is an insane midfield in terms of individual talent. And they complement each other's profiles really well. So if Kovac can get those three profiles to work together, like if he can figure out a system that works for those three, which should be very easy, they will cook. They will definitely make a run for top six. Uh, Hoffenheimer in the top six right now too. I think they're a point above Leipzig and a lot of that is down to Andre Kramic being back to his best. I don't know how long that can last but it seems like they're going pretty well with it. He's got... A, the, the, the new team looks to be doing pretty well. Anton Stach and Florian Gillitz have pretty good defensive solidity and the attack is just pretty diverse right now with Vautvegost obviously there. Uh, Marius Bulter who's a very a massive pickup for them and Mergin Berisha too. It just seems like they have so many attacking options right now that they could probably keep this going deeper into the season, even if injuries hit them. Man, Marius Bolter, Bolter scored an absolutely beautiful goal against Werder Bremen when Bremen had gotten back the game to, I think, 2-2. Yeah, it was yeah just, the, the late winner. <laughs> yeah, it was just a wonderful, wonderful game to watch. And I feel for Bremen. But that's the great thing about this Hoffenheim side. When they're in trouble, they do know how to find a way back. And that... Hoffenheim-Dortmund game was very, very competitive. And there there were moments in that game where it looked like Dortmund might lose that game. Didn't happen. But I don't think Hoffenheim has looked poor 
in any of their games to date. So with that, Ran, I think we can close our Bundesliga conversation. Why don't you close us out? For- we hope you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend as much as you do. You can follow us on Twitter at TheVarianFPWorks. You can follow some of our co-workers individually on Twitter, like Chuck Smith at The Barrel Blog. You can follow Tom Adams at TommyAdams71. You can follow I Need No Name at BFWINNN. Make sure to check out our post-match coverage on our site, as a lot of it is fantastic. We've got some observations and match awards articles coming that are really informative and just really good reads. And we hope that you enjoy the rest of your weekend.